Thanks, bud. If you would turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy. Make your ways to 1 Timothy. If you're not sure where that is, don't hesitate to use the table of contents. It's exactly what it's there for. No shame in that. Turning to 1 Timothy, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different that we haven't done as much in the uh, in this series, kind of walking through the New Testament. We're going to look at both 1st and 2nd Timothy today. For the most part, we'll find ourselves in, in just a few verses in 1st Timothy, but 1st um, Timothy is written, right, after Paul has sent Timothy, so Paul, a letter writing to Timothy uh, in Ephesus to bring some corrections and to uh, offer both personal, like commissioning type statements to Timothy, um, as well as some practical instructions for the church that he leads, this new church. It's pretty in impressive, though, even kind of woven throughout uh, 1 Timothy, Paul masterfully uh, weaves these different poems of praise to God in this, in this letter. It's a key uh, maybe I'll put it this way, key to this book is a holistic vision of the church that reminds us what a church believes and shapes how the church lives, So the, how that fleshes itself out. Second Timothy is Paul's final and most personal letter, uh, even to the point of asking Timothy to bring his, his coat to him. Now he's cold and wants wants some personal belongings to be brought to him. Before he visits, Paul wants Timothy to deal with some corruption, some, some things that aren't going the way they're supposed to be going. He reminds Timothy that hardship and sacrifice are expected for a greater good to take place, and that faithfulness comes with a cost. All of this in these two fairly short letters. Near the end of 2 Timothy, as we have been reading together, uh, reminds us that Paul pleads with Timothy to, to hold fast to Scripture. So I want us to do that too. So with that in mind, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. <clears throat> it says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This morning, I want us to to think of how we might see Christ in First and Second Timothy and in the change that Christ brings to our life. I want you to catch that. If you know Christ, 
you should be changed. This is, this is the reality that comes with salvation. You go from death to life. That's a pretty big change. Dark to light. You, you go from dead in your trespasses and sins to alive in Christ. You go from slave to free. These are drastic differences. And so if we were to assume that we would receive salvation and simply look the same for the rest of our life, we've missed salvation. You've missed Christ altogether. If he hasn't changed your life, if, you're, if your life doesn't look different, sound different, act different, if you don't look and sound and act different than the world around you, you can't be saved. Like it's not possible because the Christ that, that changes you from dead to life drastically changes who you are. So, so what we're gonna look at is, is even these few verses. What is it that, that Paul is reminding Timothy and, and ultimately the church at Ephesus and, and us as a church some 2,000 years later? What does that look like? How does that affect us? And I would start with this, that salvation leads to total transformation. Salvation leads to total transformation. Look again at those first couple verses, verses 12 and 13. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christ is the one that's given the strength because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy as I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but that's a pretty big difference. He says, thank God for giving me strength and appointing me to his service. I don't know if you know much about Paul, but just in case you don't, Paul is this, uh, like, the like, penultimate missionary. He is the, the missionary of missionaries. He's the guy that, like, he's on the first missionary journey. He goes, he plants multiple churches, raises up leaders, and goes to a next town, plants a church, raises up leaders, goes to another church, I mean, another town, does this over and over and over. And then he, the, the New Testament is littered with his letters back to those churches or those pastors that he's been equipping all of this time. But that's the type of service. He's saying, thank God that he, he brought me into this service. But what he was before that service was something very, very different. Paul was a blasphemer, a persecutor of Christians. The book of Acts actually tells us, gives us examples of, of some of those persecutions. He, he was a part of bringing people to death. He was a part of bringing people into uh, imprisonment. It was a part of destroying people and their, their homes and their places and of work. And this, this would have been his, his normal mode. And so the, the type of drastic transformation, maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I haven't done that. <laughs> I, I haven't persecuted anybody. I've never brought anybody to death. I've never even been opposed to the church. I'm, I'm sitting right here right now, Chad. I'm not that opposed to it. But what salvation does, Paul is the example of the type of transformation that takes place in our heart. Because the gospel of God is personal, yet profound. 
It's, it's specific to us. Notice in those couple verses, it is that Jesus personally came to him, judged him faithful, appointed me faithful, given me strength, appointed me to his service. I was a blasphemer. I received mercy. I had acted. All of these phrases are, are personal. It's not just that Jesus came into the world to save all of the world. It's not saying that, that he didn't come to the world to save the world he did, but he came to save you. He came, he came for you. He came for Paul. He came for me to, to drastically change my life, to change Paul's life. Totally, radically different. A total transformation. The, the effects of someone coming to Christ are deeply personal. You don't, you don't just look at, at this and say like, well, it, it, it kind of affects us a little bit. I think about the, the testimonies we heard. I think, surely, like these are well, kids. How, how changed could they be? I, I'm telling you, dead to life kind of change. And, and I, I get it. But I will, I will echo their words and their testimony. If you're, if you're sitting out here today and you're curious about what it looks like to follow Christ, ask one of the three of them. They'll tell you. I mean, you can ask me too, but <laughs> Paul describes himself. This is personal. He doesn't just speak in generalities. He speaks with specificity to his own life. The testimonies we heard weren't just that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's, a, he's my Savior. The testimony says he rescued me. If you've been transformed, right, like if, you are, if you're in the room and you say, oh, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a believer, Th things in your life should look different. Like your, your finances, you do realize that if you're a follower of Christ, you should follow the, the word of God and therefore your finances should look drastically different. Like your bank account, the way you, the, you structure your resources. You should be giving sacrificially. Maybe you haven't heard me say that before. Maybe you're like, I'm really glad I hadn't heard you say that before. But the Bible talks about it. In our life, like we should be giving of, of the resources that God has given us to steward, we should be giving them. And, and by the way, this talk about 10% with tithe, like that should be the floor, not the ceiling. This is, this is a starting ground. Not, not like, hey, well, one day I'll finally get to where I'm giving. No, no, no. Like we should be giving abundantly, sacrificially, and joyfully. Like we're actually excited to, to give of our resources because we get to see what it does for the glory of God. If you've been transformed, your clothing looks different. You, you should look different, meaning like you should be modest. That should be a, a normal standard for us. If you've been transformed by your salvation, then your acts of service should be like normal. You serving in the church should be regular. Did you know that right now, like we need volunteers for preschool and kids like this coming fall. Like we need you to be serving. 
And it is, sometimes it is hard to keep knocking on doors and keep being told no. But like, this isn't, a, this isn't an inconvenience. This is what we do as followers of Christ. We serve, not just in preschool or kids, but in all types of areas. That we, we don't just recruit the same percentage of people. We recruit all of you to serve because all of you are saying you're followers of Christ. By the way, if you're interested in serving in preschool or kids, you can contact Emily or Barbara or Gretchen in the office this week. Like, like astound them by you calling them. Wouldn't that be fun? None of you are smiling at me. The gospel of God is personal yet profound, and the gospel of God is universal yet individual. What I mean by universal, so here, clear, clearly what I'm not saying. I am not saying that all people everywhere are saved. I'm saying that it is a gift for all who will believe. This is, this is Romans 10, right? Anyone, everyone, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But we know, we know that not everyone does. And some of you are in this room today and you have yet to trust in Jesus. And I have prayed for you this morning. There have been many who have been praying for you. And so when I, when I look here, I think, I think then of, of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy says this. Paul, still writing to his friend and brother, says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. 2 Timothy 1, I hear some of you turning your pages. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Fan into flame the gift of God, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We must fan into flame this marvelous gift. Even though it is available to all, there are still billions of people who have no access to it. If you're sitting in the room today, you have access to the gospel. You're hearing the gospel right now. There are, there are billions who have no access to it. There's no church near them. There's no Bible in their language. And they don't even have, there's not even a Christian that knows their language that can say it to them. And so while it is available to all, there are many who, who don't know that it is available to them. So, yes, it is, it is personal and individual to each one of you and each one of us, but we must be a part of fanning it into flame so that the world who it is for would know that it is for them. Salvation brings this type of transformation in us. It, it shifts us, it, it adjusts us, it changes what, the way we think, the, the steps we take, the, the actions we do. It, it causes us at times to sell everything we have and move to another part of the world. Why? For the sole purpose of letting other people know that this Christ came to live and die and came back to life for them. Because while salvation leads to total transformation, commitment leads to complete obedience. 
When we commit our lives to Christ, we are completely obeying whatever it is he says. Let's go back to 1 Timothy, right where we read before, but, but look at verses 14 and following. It says, in the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost sinner, that is, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Here's, here's what Paul seems to be saying here, that commitment to Christ, he, he has to then live for Christ for that patience to be displayed in him. Does that make sense? If, if, if this, the reason that God took him, right, from the, from the uh, oh, I was over here, the blasphemer, right, the blasphemer and the persecutor, if he took him from that to the, the one who is now uh, in his service, he changed him that kind of drastically. He says he did that so that other people would see the patience of God in me. Other people would see Christ in me. If that's the case, then, then he, was, he was saved so that other people would know. That means he has to actually obey Christ. Is to actually live that out. Otherwise, people don't see the perfect patience of God in him. They don't see Christ in him if he doesn't live for Christ. Here's the reality, that grace of God is undeserving. Like by definition, that's what grace is, right? Unmerited, unearned gift. Second Timothy says it this way. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. If, if you are a child of God, follower of Christ, believer in him. Let me remind you today that you did nothing to deserve that. These, these three kids boldly proclaimed Christ today. It wasn't because they're cuter than everybody else. It wasn't because they're smarter than everybody I mean, your parents, like, I get it. They're really cute, okay? Not, not to offend. Uh, but it's not because of that. It's not because they're smarter. It's not because they're better athletes. It's not because they're better at music. It's like, no, it's simply because, not because of their works, but because of God's purpose and grace. They do not deserve that salvation any more than I did, any more than Paul did. By God's grace, it's, it's so undeserving. And listen, the grace of God is purposeful. Did you catch that? God has purpose in giving his grace, not just to those three children, but to any one of you who calls on him for salvation. It demonstrates God's patience. So catch this. Part of the reason you were saved is not just so that you would be saved. It's so that other people would see salvation in you. 
so that the patience of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God would be on display in and through you. So we should also be patient then. We should all live at peace with one another. Second Timothy says all the more that we should obey in this way, that we should flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Guys, let me just, let me just say something. Uh, did you catch that about not breeding ignorant controversies? I don't know what some people do all day, but like I got stuff to do and it's not post all ridiculousness on social media about, hey, let's, let's just open up for argument so that we can like, let's, I, we, I don't know, I have time for that. I hope you don't either. If you have time for that, I will give you something to do. I promise. I go, you can pull weeds in my yard. Or like, there's, I mean, there's, there's even fun things I can give you to do. Like, how is that enjoyable? Don't do that. Like, this is just, just a clear statement, not thinking of someone in particular, but if it's you, don't do it. Right, like, what is that helping? Nothing. So, so don't breed ignorant controversies. Don't, don't be a part of foolishness. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind. Like this is what Christians do. This is what Christ followers do. We exemplify the peace of God in us, the patience of God with us. Because the grace of God is purposeful. It's, it's to be more than just your salvation. The last thing those three kids said was their name and that they were saved to be sent. They're, they're rescued so that they would tell everybody else how they can be rescued. You were saved so that you could let others know how to be saved. You were redeemed, bought by God, adopted into the family of God so that others would know how to be adopted. This is the grace of God being purposeful. It, it demonstrates God's patience. It leads to God's praise. Later in 1 Timothy, he says, he who is blessed, the only sovereign, the king of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see to him, eternal dominion and honor. It leads to God's praise. It, it continues with our proclamation and our telling. That's why in 2 Timothy, Paul tells him, he says, teach this truth, all the stuff I've taught you, teach to faithful men who will teach to others also. The idea of multiply it so that they'll teach others, so that they'll teach others. I'm really glad he did that, by the way. How do you think it got to us 2,000 years later? Somebody taught somebody who taught you. The grace of God is purposeful and, and it's exemplified in our commitment to him, complete obedience to him. Finally, and when thinking about the, 
the transformation, the change that takes place in salvation. We think that we realize, according to this text, that redemption leads to absolute worship. Right? I think about, think about these, these texts here. And Paul talks about receiving grace, receiving mercy in verse 16. That Jesus might display his perfect patience. And then in verse 17, he shifts. Right? He's talking about how, how honored he is as the recipient of such grace and mercy. And so it is, it is so fast for him that he quickly says to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. How often is it, brothers and sisters, you ponder your salvation and aren't so quick to praise the one who saved you? Maybe, maybe it is because we don't ponder our salvation often enough. But, but if you went from death to life, we got somebody to praise about that. Somebody to say thank you to. If you went from darkness to light, you went from blasphemer to in his service. You, you didn't deserve his grace. He's giving you purpose. He's giving you a very reason to live. So we say to him, you are the king of ages, the immortal, the invisible, the only God. There is no one else like you. Like the glory of God is immortal. The king of the ages means that like you are not, like when he says immortal, it's, it's that you're not mortal. You're not born and died. You are infinite. That means not just that you will live forever, but that you have always been. This is who we're speaking of. This, this is the king of the ages. Not just king of this age, not just king of, of these days, not just king over the presidents and the uh, rulers now, but king of all ages. That's why he's described as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, because there is no one that surpasses his greatness. His, it's immortal. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us, called us to a holy calling. This one who has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The glory of God is immortal. It's worthy of our worship. The glory of God, though, is also invisible. I think in some ways, that's what makes it so hard for us. We don't, we don't see him. We can't, can't touch him. It's Billy Graham who once described, described God in the same way that there is wind. You can't see the wind. You can't touch the wind. You can, you can feel the wind. 
and you can see the effects of the wind when the wind blows through the trees and the leaves rattle. You can, you can see the effects of the wind, but you can't actually see wind itself. Anything that you see with wind is, is something that the wind is moving. But we believe that wind exists. If you don't, ask your kid to blow in your face. Right? Like, we believe that that exists, but we don't see it. And yet sometimes not seeing God, not seeing, not touching the Holy Spirit causes us to doubt. We don't see and touch. And yet this is saying that the king of the ages is immortal. He's invisible and it's celebrating that he's invisible. That's the point of praise. You're so majestic that we can't even see you. The Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy says, when Paul writes this, in 2 Timothy he says, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us guards us that in, in tr what's entrusted to us. The Holy Spirit does this work. You can't see the Holy Spirit in you. But, but we can know that he is there. We can be confident in even what we do not see. That is, by definition, faith. He is immortal, invisible, and incomparable. I love this part. When he says the only God. It's reminding us that there is not another one. There isn't, there isn't another one like him. I, I love this. When you get to, to 1 Timothy 6. It says that he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. He's the only sovereign. That's like a double positive. I know we know the, the term double negative, right, in English. We're not supposed to use those. This is a double positive. Sovereign means only ruler, singular ruler. And so when here he says he's the only, only ruler, he's it. There's not another one. He's the only sovereign, the king of all of the kings, the Lord of all of the lords. He's incomparable. There's no one that we, A.W. Pink calls this the solitariness of God, that there is no one else like him, just one. And so I wonder today, if you hear of this type of change, maybe, maybe it is today that you would trust in this Jesus. You would believe that, that Jesus, who is the Son of God, who came to earth, not just for the world, but for you, that you would call upon him for salvation, that you would be changed, that you would go from death to life and darkness to light, that you would be transformed and made new. And so I'm, I'm asking you, would you, would you call upon Christ for salvation? 
as we heard in the, the video testimonies, it said that they asked God to forgive them of their sins. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? It's because it is. You have offended God. I have offended God. Paul had offended God in our sin. So we, we ask God to forgive us, and he is faithful and just, John tells us. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So right now, today, don't wait. Right now, ask God to forgive you. Turn away from your sin and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. In just a minute, we're gonna sing. It's kind of a normal thing around here. After the preaching happens, there's a, another song and, and there's an opportunity at that point for you then to, to make that either decision known or ask more questions about it. I, I think I've, I've got some other questions. I think I understand what Chad's talking about, but, but I'm not positive. And so, so I'm, I'm asking you that after I, after we stand in just a minute, if you've got more questions or if you just wanna celebrate the fact that you've just made that decision right where you sit, and to my left in this door, there will be some who would love to talk to you about that, love to answer questions, love to point you to scripture that might make things more clear. But I also think of those of you in the room who have already chosen to follow Christ, who could echo the words of those testimonies, who could say, I once was fill in the blank, maybe not blasphemer, maybe not persecutor, but I once was lost, but now I'm found. I, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I've been made alive. If that is your testimony, would you, would you be sent out from this place today with a greater sense of urgency and boldness to make your life reflect that you have gone from death to life? That your money would look different, that your time would look different, that your clothes would look different, that your act of service would look different. You would be different. You would allow the, the Holy Spirit that dwells in you to, to, to stir in you conviction of sin and confess that to the Lord by his grace and will abound in your life. That he could display his perfect patience in and through your life. And, and so as we stand to sing in just, just a moment, would you celebrate that the Lord is your salvation? He's the one that's rescued you and redeemed you. He gives us reason to celebrate who he is, for he is the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God who deserves honor and eternal dominion. Would you stand with me? as we respond.